In our Bible lessons from the first epistle of John, we again refer to that interesting passage in chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, where we read these words, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. There are two profound truths which are most important for us to understand in our consideration of the Bible, and particularly of the glorious gospel offered in the New Testament. On the one hand, it is a profound biblical revelation and also a most emphatic New Testament revelation that there is no such thing as a gospel salvation which does not reconcile man in fact to God in his own consciousness and bring about an inner response of obedience and joyful restoration to those requirements of God which are most reasonable. Let us understand that man in relation to God has an intellectual comprehension of his obligation. Man has been given the ability to understand God in a certain measure. Man has been given that wonderful quality of imagination whereby he looks off into the unseen world and recognizes the existence of God. God has given man the ability of intellect and understanding so that he could understand something of the great God and enter into an endless process of discovery. God has given man that inner response of emotion or experience whereby man could have a reactive joy in the presence of God. Man is not a mechanical creature and was not intended to live a cold intellectual formal life, or on the other hand, a merely functional life without reasoning and thinking upon his relations. God gave man also that sovereign self-decision of his own will whereby he could respond or not respond, and the mere fact that he doesn't have to respond to the grace and intelligence of God gives the possibility of true worship and voluntary compliance to the will of God. So we see that man's relation to God lodges in his understanding of that relationship and that his intellect therefore affirms his obligation to recognize and reverence the existence of God and also to properly regard the equal happiness of his fellow men. So the wonderful matter of moral obligation the wonderful matter of moral government of God is founded in true principles of intelligence and no scheme of relationship can possibly exist without this relationship of respect and regard and obedience to truth. And so we need to have it affirmed in our mind that the gospel is not a plan to let down the bars of obligation. It is not a plan to produce a manner of life that does not gloriously fulfill God's expected relationship to us and our expected relationship to Him. 
On the other hand, it is most important that we discern that the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a restoration of some sort of mechanical obedience to the requirements of God. It is to be feared that a great portion of Christianity loses the essential concept of the glorious gospel of Christ in this respect. It is affirmed on every hand that man must obey God and must keep the commandments of God without, it appears, emphasizing properly the fluent, joyful, abounding, loving aspects of this relationship. Christianity is not a resurrection to a state of pure, cold obedience. It is a warm reconciliation to God through the atoning death of Christ, whereby the sinner forsakes his sin and is warmed, if we may use this word in a spiritual sense, by the vivid manifestation of the true nature of the cross of Christ as the Lord Jesus suffered for the sins of the whole world. And it is this relationship that so breaks down man's heart, so leads him to appreciate the love of God, so brings an inner revelation of the true nature of his sin when he sees the true nature of the great God that a glorious loving relationship results. This loving relationship, as the apostle seeks to impart to us, produces that inner yearning and warm-hearted desire to obey God. The desire is not to obey God in order that we may get something, but it is simply and radiantly to obey God because we have been one to a state of loving, tender respect for God. And out of the inner heart of love, there flows that joyous, happy obedience to God. And so on the one hand, Christianity is not a freedom from obedience. On the other hand, Christianity is not a mechanical obedience. And we need to distinguish between these two matters very carefully. And so the apostle in this passage has written, Hereby we do know that we know him. First of all, we know that this word know, as has been remarked upon, involves a knowledge grounded in personal experience. It is not a purely objective knowledge. It is a knowledge that we actually enter into by our own consciousness. It is like we say, we know that our mothers have loved us simply because we have spent so much time in mother's presence and have experienced so many wonderful revelations of that love that we do not know that love purely by mental deduction, but we know that love by wonderful remembrance of consciousness as to how we were loved. And so this is the idea here. We have the privilege through the gospel of knowing the very revealed person of the great Godhead through the atoning death of Christ, into which we have been brought into consciousness. And so when this takes place, we keep his commandments with that fluent, joyful attitude. And we may put this passage in reverse, which indeed is supposed to be the main meaning of this passage, that if we desire to know whether we have in fact known God in true reconciliation as revealed in the gospel, 
we may take a view of our lives and see whether we are keeping his commandments or not. This is the very thing that Jesus stressed. If you love me, keep his commandments. And if we do not keep his commandments joyfully, not mechanically, but fluently and happily, we have no proof that the true love of God is existing in our hearts. And this is the penetrating fact of this passage which is before us. If then we look at our lives and we do not find that joyful, fragrant, happy obedience and submission to God and that happy love of our fellow men, according to this passage, we have no real proof that we are reconciled to God. That's what the next verse brings out. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And so the many who claim to be in right relation to God deny him by their very conduct. They say they are in right relation to God, but by their works and by their lives and by their unsubmissive attitude toward God, they prove to the world, and indeed it ought to be to themselves, that they are not in right relation to God. But then this passage goes on, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. We might render this, this verse this way, Whosoever should be continually observing his word, truly in this one, the love of God has come to be and is continuing to be made perfect. The tenses of the original are most interesting in endless occurrences. We have here a beginning of some kind of a climax and then the continuation of the results and continued manifestation of this climax. This climax is when we became in wonderful relationship reconciled to God so that according to Romans 5, 5, the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This shed abroad is a sudden tense describing a climactic action whereby when we repent of our sins and exercise true faith in the atoning death of Christ, there takes place that conscious regeneration of our hearts and lives whereby our hearts are purified negatively from the stains of sin and are filled positively with the radiant love of God. So the only thing we can think about is that wonderful, fragrant, sweet, manifested love of God which has taken up its radiant manifestation in our hearts and souls and beings, yea, in the very essence of our personalities, the heart. And so when this takes place, there is a perfection of God's love within us, as this passage declares. And so if we are joyfully keeping his word, seeking to submit to God, we have perfected within us the very love of God. Love, then, is the motivation of obedience. We may render verse 6 like this. By this we are knowing that in him we are. He who is saying in him to be abiding is bound even as he did walk about, also himself to be walking about. We may illustrate this thought this way. If we have the wonderful electric power line going by our house, carrying its great voltage and power, how shall we prove that we are connected up to this mighty power line? If, for example, we take a little flashlight bulb and manifest it to our friends by lighting it and declare that we are hooked up to this great power line 
because he sees this little flashlight bulb burning, this certainly would not be much proof, because our friend would know of the tremendous power going through this line, and it ought to produce a greater force and manifested light. But if we have a mighty floodlight in our house, and we throw the switch, and our friend is blinded by the glorious illumination that proceeds, we have no trouble proving to him that we are hooked up to the great power line going beside our home. And so, my friends, if the glorious radiance of Christ motivates our hearts and lives, we can prove to others that we are united to the glorious resurrected Christ because of the profound manifestations. And certainly here is the promise of deliverance from sin and glorious victory by abiding in Christ. In fact, the proof of this abiding is, of course, victory over sin. Our Heavenly Father, our hearts are filled with joy of the wonderful concepts of thy truth that thy blessed word brings to us. And we pray that the radiance of thy light may shine to many souls this day. In Jesus' name, amen.